MadCleric.com presents Episode 6 of Chasing the Dragon. Welcome to episode 6 of Chasing the Dragon. I am the mad cleric, Jason Wood, and I'll be your DM for the next 30 minutes. Now, if you're out there listening, you're listening because you're a tabletop role player with a serious problem. And here's the problem. Too many games, not enough time, and not enough money. I mean, there's nothing worse than shelling out your hard-earned cash to buy a game, and then you either don't have time to play it, or it doesn't live up to the hype. That's why you should be going back in time with me to play 1st Edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Like most of the myriad games out there, it is fun, and it has its flaws. But in the end, it's not going to break the bank, and you're going to have a gaming experience that you won't likely forget. In this podcast, I interview people who can help us have the experience that each of us is looking to have with 1st Edition AD&D. And my guest tonight is T.R. Knight. TR, like myself, is a husband and father who still manages to cultivate a gaming hobby, actually. And more than that, he actually has done some work editing and writing role-playing games. So, TR, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you first get into gaming, and how has working in that industry changed your view of role-playing games? Oh, well, hey, thank you for letting me on the podcast. I appreciate it. I love the challenge you've set before yourself. (laughs) Play the nostalgic games. That's, That's kind of a big challenge. For me, um, been gaming over 30 years. Started out, my first game actually was not d and I actually started with V&V, Villains and Vigilantes by Jeff D. A very classic superhero game, which actually has a new version coming out soon. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it does, actually. They're kickstarting a new version, which is interesting. A whole bunch of copyright and other things to bring back an old game, but they've reclaimed their rights. So, for me, I started out with that for various reasons, having grown up in the... 70s, 80s, and 90s, dealing with different views of Dungeons and Dragons through that time period, I had to start out with something different. My parents had that challenge of D&D's that odd, weird, evil game. So I had to work through that, through friends and through parents and everything, to be able to play D&D, um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which was the first for me as well. I never played the the white box or the red or blue boxes or anything. So. Oh, wow. So you, you skipped basic altogether. You went straight for the advanced. I uh... went straight for advanced. That's how my, my I rolled with my team. So <laughs> I did. I started out as a player um, soon after. I, so I played V&V for probably about six months, nine months. Finally got my mother turned around enough that she would say, yeah, okay, you can try that other game. And like I'm telling you earlier and stuff, I ended up playing a cleric, so it was just kind of funny. But that was my way of saying, well, I'll be okay. I won't be a fighter or a thief <laughs> or anything evil. I'll be a cleric that turned into a warrior cleric and right. smashed yeah. everything in his path. Um, but then years of doing that, I had a great DM. He was wonderful. I learned from him, but I always had that itch, so I quickly moved into the DMing after probably three, four years. By the time I finished high school, I was DMing. And okay. I'm still pretty much primary DM. I'll play occasionally, but I prefer to be the dungeon master. I enjoy writing the stories and learning all the rules. I still play First Ed, um, so it still comes up occasionally. I like it. It's a good game. But now I do a lot of modern stuff. So as a freelancer, um, my recent work has been with the Octung Cthulhu line from Odiphius, um, with Mutant Chronicles from Odiphius. From Onyx Path, I've done work on Chronicles of Darkness and Exalted 3rd Edition. 
I'm hoping we'll see. Can I work on the Star Trek game by Modiphius? I don't know. Oh, man. So we're yeah. going to reach out there. Um, I've also done some Pathfinder books with Total Party Kill Games and done a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. Freelancing gives you a very different perspective on the industry. I've come to respect it a lot more. To be honest, really? I still love playing. The The great flaw of all freelancers, we don't get to play as much as we want anymore. I spend a lot of my time staring at the screen because I do mostly editing and proofreading. Okay. Uh, a lot of editing. <laughs> right now I'm working on a very large index is what I'm working on on a project. So when I game, I'm very particular about my game. I want to really enjoy it and get into it. But I have so much respect now because having edited so many books in proofread, now I know how much work goes into the writing, the editing, the layout, the multiple editions you have to do before you can finally get the actual published game out. Right. Um, and nowadays you have PDF and physical print, which is a whole different world because you have issues with people pirating your PDF games. And so you have people like Wizards doesn't know if they want to put out PDFs where other companies do. So the freelancing gave me a very different perspective on the back end, all the people that were involved. And for the last so many years, I've got to attend the innies, the, the big award for the role-playing world that happens at Gen Con. And that's fascinating to sit with people that I grew up loving you know their games and then i'm sitting in an award show beside the guys of the games that i've played with you know for 30 years and then last year one of the projects i worked on actually won an any and so i got to be on stage with some of these people that i consider icons of the industry and it was just crazy i mean just for me to to sit up with some of the guys like robin laws meet him um i've met a lot of the guys that did the original dnd i've met tim cask and a lot of these guys so it's, it's been kind of cool to be in the industry now and meet these guys and realize how down to earth they are and they're just as much gamers as we are that's cool so that's so, my intro so i'm i'm uh really glad to hear you're, you're actually playing first edition AD&D because i've been on this uh i've been doing this now for what a little over two months since I officially started. I've been talking about it for like two years, but um, finally been doing it. And the more I talk about it on Twitter, the more I realize or begin to think I'm the only person playing <laughs> first edition of Dungeons and Dragons out there. Because the responses I'm getting are, why aren't you playing fifth edition? The rules of first edition suck. Play second edition. Like, and they're trying to suck me into the edition wars. I understand, but to hear that there's somebody out there actually playing the game still is very comforting to me. Why? Why are you still playing AD and D? Well, I'm actually playing both. That's what's interesting. If you look behind me, there's my fifth edition. There's <laughs> okay. my first edition books. I'm actually playing fifth edition with my daughters. So their okay. first time role playing, they're now playing fifth edition. Beautiful entry-level system. They're having a blast. Even my wife has joined in. Even all these wow. years of me role-playing, she's never wanted a game. But with her daughter's gaming and this 5th edition looked a lot more fun, she's playing. But with a lot of my gaming group, we have played 1st Ed or 2nd Ed off and on forever. I mean, even to the point, like, two years ago, I do this thing I started a few years back called WOA. W-H-O-A. Weekend Holiday of Adventure. <laughs> and my old gaming group come in and stay at my house for a weekend. That's and awesome. we play two games. This last year we did Dresden Files and Feng Shui. But two years ago we did a great big first ed campaign. I, read a sea, I, I ran a seafaring campaign. Hmm. Even managed to sneak in a couple modules as islands. So I did 
uh, The Gauntlet, which is, uh, I'm trying to remember, that's UK3. I did some of the Book of Lairs. I did some of the Moonshay Isles. I also did um, another module I can't remember what I have to think about. But I actually pulled a few old First Ed modules and snuck them in as islands in the seafaring. That's awesome. So I still played occasionally. Uh, last time I played First Ed would have been probably last year I ran a one-shot. Every now and then we'll pull it out just right. to play a one-shot for the fun of it. And then the other thing I've done last year, a friend of mine now does this. He runs a thing called Toon Dungeon. He takes the Toon role-playing game mm-hmm. and runs old first edition modules with cartoon characters running through them. <laughs> he actually runs those at Gen Con. They're hilarious. You're like this invincible cartoon, and when all the traps kill you, it's even funny. That's awesome. So it is fun. So I still I have a lot of nostalgia for you. It's it's a fun system. Now, that said, I don't necessarily play it exactly the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of one thing we're going to talk about tonight. And I think your role as an editor proofreader is, is helpful on this because as I've read the Dungeon Master's Guide, so I've read this thing twice now. Yep. Um, it is not a well-organized <laughs> book by any stretch no. of the imagination. And there, there are portions of it that I've talked about in previous blog posts, that sort of thing, that just are pretty much indecipherable. Um, that doesn't make it bad. No. Like I said, it, it's fun, but it has its flaws, like any game does. And one of the... I, I, I'm not convinced it's a flaw yet, but I, I'll just get right to it. The XP rules are problematic. Um, I agree. For those out there who haven't read the rule book or have never played, the XP rules basically say... Um, you get XP for two things. Killing stuff and getting money. What I think that has given birth to is the whole expectation that at the end of the day, RPG parties are just murder hobos. Murder hobos! <laughs> what yep. do they do? They wander village to village, they kill people and things, and they get money wherever they can. Uh, and so I told my players this for our first session, and there were no opportunities to kill uh, without just being really murderers. But what did they do? They stole. <laughs> so um, as you're looking at kind of how he did that, one of the things that you had told me in a, in a Twitter message back and forth was that you felt like the XP rules in AD&D needed to be amended. And uh just share your thoughts on that. What, why do you do you have the same concerns I have, or are there others at play? Well, mine's the same thing. As a young gamer, when I first started playing, we pretty much didn't even write our own adventures early on. It was the buy a module, run the module. Mm-hmm. And if you read the old modules, you're doing this now with Hamlet. The modules were pretty much written, run in, go into a room, either get killed by a trap, or kill or be killed by a monster. Right. Monsters made no sense. Like, how did the toad end up underground? How, how did, you know, a grizzly bear end up in a room in a basement? I don't know how they ended up there at times. You know, ecology didn't matter at the time. But the modules were written. Like you said, the murder hobo thing. Run in. Well, first off, go to a bar, get hired by some guy. You know, get sent in by either the, the mayor or somebody in the tavern. You would run from room to room, killing whatever it was. You didn't even think about it. And then eventually you would run into whoever the lead was, whether it was some mage or some crazy guy or some orc or maybe a lich. You would eventually take on the big baddie and you'd kill him. It was much more like a 
serial old computer game, your Doom game or something like that. Right. And the rules were written for that. And when you were young, you were excited. What was the next fight? I mean, right. I don't know about you, if you try to do that, like, when we were young enough, we would literally have nights where we would just open the monster manual and throw monsters at each other. Mm-hmm. Here, try to kill this, you know? And it was built that way. And as a young player, you didn't think about it. It's like, oh, great, I got a plus one sword. How much is it worth? I get that much experience. Right. You know, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm. Um, we're going to go defeat this. And it, it worked early on. Where it didn't work is when you started thinking about what you were doing. <laughs> when you quit Ethically being, or just when it comes to basic logic just basic logic when when you quit just doing the adventure when you quit just going room to room to room and just blindly following what I'll ever said basically getting railroaded through an adventure is what we call mm-hmm. it when you finally realize wait I've got this cool character he's you know he's this half elf fighter thief who really wants to be a noble and hates being a thief and you start trying to role play who he is or you start making your own dungeons, and you're trying to figure out, well, why would I put a giant toad in a room? You know, like, who would live in a dungeon? What would be in there? There should be skeletons and stuff like that. Well, then you get the, well, what if I don't want to kill it? What if I just want to scare it away? What if I just want to run away myself, you know, to fight another day? And you realized at that point, and this was literally late, this was into college mostly. You realize at that point, wait a minute, we can play an entire evening, and earn zero experience. Because exactly. if we role play, like one of my favorite adventures has to do with a town called Reston Ford. Like you're using Hamlet, Reston Ford is a sandbox. Yeah. Um, even the new um, Curse of Strahd games that I'm going to run with my group coming up soon has Barovia, which is a sandbox area around. Well, the problem is if you get into your sandbox, you know, you're meeting the shopkeep. You're going around and spending time in the tavern getting to know people. If you're the bard, you tell stories. If you're the priest, you go to the local um, temple and you study. And you could spend an entire evening on these side quests mm-hmm. that, based on core D&D, didn't have an experience for. Now, right. they did later on in various dragon articles, in later modules and stuff, they would start doing things like, well, you earn so much experience for finishing this section of the module. Mm. They would have these chapter or section bonuses or milestone bonuses, a lot of games call them today. Was that during like 1E time they started doing that, or was that after 2nd edition came out? Mostly into 2nd edition, because 2nd edition also brought in skills mm-hmm. and professions and stuff, so you could do things in the game. So I'm trying to think. <laughs> I think one of the first deads, i got to remember Oh, I'd have to go back and look at my notes somewhere. But there were a couple first eds that were tournament games. Mm-hmm. And so you were playing them at, at conventions. And so to get you to move faster, they would do that. You would hit a milestone and you'd all get so much experience. Okay. So what happened for us was, as we matured as gamers, as we moved away from being combat monsters, min-maxing our stats, and we started mm-hmm. getting into the role-playing, and as I started doing the DMing, I'm a storyteller love to tell stories and I love to integrate my players into the story into the campaign world the only way to do that was to do to reward people for how they played mm-hmm. modern games already do that and partway right. through as I'm still playing other games I'm playing D&D first edition but at the same time I'm starting to play other games and you start seeing other games having things like Benny's you know taming out a savage world you mm-hmm. started seeing the milestone experience you started seeing you gain experience for role playing 
so what we did is we took a lot of that and rolled it back into our D&D that we still love. Because right. I got a lot of my gamers still love first edition D&D, the simplicity of the levels and everything. And you can see in 5th Ed, when they designed 5th Ed, 5th Ed feels like you went from 1st Ed, 2nd Ed to 5th Ed. Interesting. You kind of skip 3rd and 4th because it's very theater of the mind. It's not about minis. It's back to having levels. It's back to your mm -hmm. stats mattering. Yes, if you want prestige classes, yes, if you want some of those other features, they've put them in there as modules. But the right. core 5th edition is like a new edition of 1st slash 2nd edition. It's a really neat way it's designed and what they've done is they've added that in they've added an ability like a binny they've added abilities like earning experience just on milestones there's entire rules in fifth ed now that say don't even give out experience for combat or treasure at all only give wow. out milestone experience and actually don't even give experience just level people pathfinder right. started doing that too it's like okay you finish this module you gained a level you get through That's this chapter cool. you gain a module or a, a ch um, level so what we had done, as we were maturing over time, we added little bits at a time. So like one of the first things I remember us adding was just, as long as you defeat them, you get the experience. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the killing, it was if you ran off the wolves, if you captured the orc, if you, know, you didn't have to kill him. We just redefined it from death to defeat. Right. And that made a big difference. It changed people's perspective. Um, our first edition change to treasure was quit giving the experience to the person who keeps it because you'd get people choosing items for the stupidest reasons. <laughs> well, that's worth right. a ton of experience. So I know I'm the fighter, but I'm going to take that magic cloak. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> now the rules kind of say you have to be able to use it and he could, but it wasn't his best item. Right. So we started saying, fine, all the treasure is worth this much experience. Just divide it by the number of players. But eventually, we just wiped out entirely. We literally got rid of the treasure thing because treasure started becoming experience, not story. Hmm. Well, to make up for that, that meant a whole lot of experience disappeared. And so we started giving experience for roleplay. And you and I talked about that on Twitter a little bit. Right. We started doing this. Every time you roleplayed well, if everybody agreed to it, you would get a 100 XP times your current level in experience. Which, and that actually I made a big difference. Yeah, it does make a big difference, but because it's kind of leveled to, like, as for those who may not understand the leveling system, it's pretty yeah. similar, actually, to later editions, but the further you get, the more XP you have to have, so yes. having that increase per level makes sense. And we did, and we even modified over time, you usually learn the game, you know, 100 times 8 is 800, that's not bad, but we would do things like, well, you get more than one bonus. We would, like I said, we added the milestone bonuses in, we added the campaign bonuses, so Eventually, if you actually watch us play First Ed now, our first edition game, the only thing that's still in the original experience is you get the experience for defeating a monster. Mm -hmm. Everything else we do now is role-playing based. So you get experience for how well you role-play. You get experience as a DM bonus if I think you did something that just really got my attention. We do the, right. once you finish a milestone, whether it's through a level of the dungeon or once you finished fighting the orcs outside and you enter the dungeon where you finish that milestone you get experience we started basically saying the story matters more than the mechanics mm -hmm. and it's interesting yeah. to take an old school game like first edition D&D but play it like a modern role playing game and some people mm -hmm. will say you've lost the spirit of AD&D some of your grognards will <laughs> kind of come in and go oh you're not really playing first ed anymore and 
you and I had talked about that. You know, what do I feel about that? I wanted to read something for you. You said you've been reading this, so yes, here's my copy. Yes. I think I know where you're going already. Page nine. I love this. It's mm-hmm. just in the introduction. We're going to read a, a quick little section in here. This is right from Gary Gygax. Know the game systems, and you will know how and when to take upon yourself the ultimate power. To become the final arbiter, rather than the interpreter of the rules, can be a difficult and demanding task, and it can be undertaken lightly, or cannot be undertaken lightly, for your players expect to play this game, not one made up on the spot. But here's where it gets interesting. By the same token, they are playing the game the way you, he even emphasizes it in italics, you, their DM, imagine and creates it. Remembering that the game is greater than its parts, and knowing all the parts, you will have overcome the greater part of the challenge of being a referee. Being a true DM requires cleverness and imagination, which no set of rule books can bestow. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the heart of what Gygax was saying. And there's yeah. been other quotes attributed to him, um, which from his days of doing Legendary and other stuff, saying, you know, the gamers will eventually realize you no longer need rules. Right. And that, I think, is the heart of what he says here. There are a lot of rules. But even other books change the rules. You know, you pull out, like, my favorite book actually that came out was Unearthed Arcana. Mm-hmm. Unearthed Arcana added a whole bunch of funky rules, which completely obliterated balance in many aspects of first edition. <laughs> but they were fun to play. And if at your heart you remember that the purpose of role-playing was not simulation. Role-playing is not miniature warfare. Role-playing is storytelling. And if you remember that, then the rules should only be to enhance the game. They should not be the game. And that's kind of how we've determined how best to play our first Ed D&D. We play it because we love it, and that's how we go. I think that's fantastic. And again, the the listeners who are out there probably, their experience with role-playing games is more than likely also with modern games. I cut my teeth on 4th edition D&D. And I played it every week for a solid three years or so. Um, that was one campaign, by the way. Nice. <laughs> uh, we, we went all the way with it, and um, it was fun. It was great. But by the end of it, I just got really exhausted by uh, how binary it felt. I got so sick of rolling it and just hearing you fail or you succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wanted something more than that, and that's why I was drawn to the FFG Star Wars RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, which you were a playtester on Edge of the Empire, you said, right? Yes, I was. So, you, so you're, you're very familiar with that. And the, the XP system in that, I was kind of blown away by because it was exactly what you're talking about. You were rewarded for adding to the story. And so, you know, as I've been doing first edition, I'm really trying, as I start out, to do everything rules is written, just simply to say, hey, we, we gave it a shot. We, yep. we tried to do it the way the first players did it. But realistically, let's be honest, man, the first people who read the book didn't read that whole Dungeon Master's Guide in one sitting and then go do it. Exactly how they did it. They botched rules. Mm-hmm. They they took little bits and pieces, and at the end of the day, they just made it work. Um, as I've read a lot of stuff on Dragon's Foot, um, if y'all haven't read Dragon'sFoot.org, great website, great website, a lot of first edition resources, and there's a whole forum that Gary Gygax used to post in, and all the stuff he ever posted is there, and someone's compiled into a PDF. You just want to read it's like hundreds of pages, um, and he talks in there about how even like the ex or the uh, initiative rules. He didn't use them in his own game. Um, he, he put them in the book because he thought other people might need it, but he didn't need it. He had some other way that he did it all together, which he didn't explain in that post. Um, so, you know, I, I think the spirit of what Gygax is trying to accomplish is exactly what you're saying, TR. You take it, you use what you need to use, and have fun with it. I, that's the exactly. goal, ultimately, you know. 
Oh, exactly. So you don't feel like then uh, that making house rules in any way violates the spirit of the game, like the grognards would say. But what about the nostalgia of playing AD&D? Um, if you're trying to go back and get that original experience that the gamers had, do you feel like you should start Rules is Written the way I'm doing it? Or would you tell people just, ah, whatever works for your group? Well, I think there's two different things you're looking at here. If you want to play a nostalgic game, you can play it as written. It is a mm-hmm. way of doing it. It's it's no different than playing like good example. We'll go with Monopoly. No one plays Monopoly as written. <laughs> Everybody uses free parking. Right. Everybody says you don't have to buy properties as you go around. And then mm-hmm. people complain that Monopoly takes four and five hours. If you actually take the time to read the rules of Monopoly and play Monopoly exactly like it is, it will not be nostalgic to you because right. it will not be the way you played it as a kid. Mm. And so there are rules written in one way, but that's not nostalgic. So the thing is, for you, are you being nostalgic playing the rules as written? Well, you're being faithful to the rules as written, but mm-hmm. it's not nostalgic because you've never played it before. Exactly. So to you, it's not nostalgic. To someone who did play it the way it was written, they would say you're being faithful. And so I think you kind of have to look at it. Is your goal to be faithful and to experience something as it was written? That's a great way of doing things. You read the mm-hmm. instructions, you do it. You play Monopoly. You read it the way it was done, you play it. You do D. If you're wanting to enjoy a game that people have enjoyed for 30 plus years, you still want to play the core. Now, what's the core? Everybody's going to interpret it differently. Right. Uh, some people say the Vancean magic system is part of the core. Some will say the level system without prestige classes is the core. Some will say racial restrictions and you know of your levels are the core. Mm-hmm. Some will claim it's, you know, the modules or the core. So I think each person is going to have to decide, am I playing it because I'm curious to play as it's written, just because that's what I'm doing, or do I want to play the spirit of the game? Right. And even me, I still have both. And the reason is, yes, I can make 5th Ed feel kind of like 1st Ed. There are elements that I carry through, but they're not the same. You know, so what's the what's the difference in your mind? What feels different about first edition in comparison to the later editions like fifth ed? A lot of it is the imbalance. Mm-hmm. Almost all modern games go for symmetry instead of asymmetry. So they try to make all the classes equal. Like great example, first ed. If you do your reading, there's something called a bard in first ed. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. The only way to be a bard is you have to play a fighter up to fifth level and a thief up to fifth level. Then you become a druid, which is the bard. I've actually done that. I actually managed in a campaign to play all the way to a bard. That's impressive. Second edition changed that. Second edition actually created the bard as a class. Now, in fifth edition, fifth edition now, mages and barges can cast... Barges? Wow. Mages <laughs> and bards can cast healing spells. Like, okay. the party that's my, my family are a monk a bard, and a thief. And they're doing fine because the monk is acting (laughs) like the fighter. The bard is acting like the priest. Okay. Because what they've done is they wanted to make it 5th edition lets you play without having to have a cleric. You don't have to have a fighter. What they've done is they've made everybody have a little fighting ability. Everybody have a little healing ability. And that's Mm. a whole different feel. It's wonderful. I love the 5th edition. I'm enjoying running it. But it made the game a very different game. But I'm also a different person today. 
I don't have yeah. time every week to play. I can't play for eight hours straight like I used to. I play for a three-hour evening. Therefore, right. I need a game that is quick, simple, and enjoyable. So that's why I was playing Fate for a while. I was playing Savage mm-hmm. Worlds. Old school, when I pull out the first ed, is when I'm going to play with my friends for an extended period. Plus, it's friends that have always played it. So they already have this historical memory, and they know. Right. But it's different. You play a fighter in a first edition, you got to have a cleric. There is no short rest, long rest, second win. Mm-hmm. If that cleric's not there, your party is going to die. If there's no thief there, you're not going to survive that first trap. First Dead had very individualistic classes. Mm-hmm. You wanted the traditional fighter, mage, thief, cleric in the party. The only thing you could really do away with was the mage. You had to have a fighter, cleric, and a thief if you were playing with three people. Or you got into multi-classes. Right. And there aren't even multi-classes anymore. Technically, everybody's a dual class. You know, you play fighter for so many levels, then you can play a thief. It's kind of multi-classing, but you're not truly a fighter-thief going up at the same time. You do one-level fighter, one-level thief, one-level thief, one-level fighter. Oh, I'm going to add a mage in there. You know, In the old one, you chose from the beginning, and you played it unless you were human. And then you could do dual-classing. So it's... It has a very different feel. It's You can tell that it's imbalanced. It never tried to be balanced. But that was its charm. You know, you had somebody playing a Cavalier in the party from the Unearthed Arcana. It was a crazy class, but had so much role-playing potential. Mm-hmm. You had someone playing a Barbarian, and you couldn't have a Mage in the party because they couldn't stand each other. <laughs> Actually, they even had problems with it. I mean, Barbarian was going around destroying all the magic items, which made everybody mad. <laughs> you know, you added different things in, and so... The game didn't try to be balanced. It wanted to be fun. It focused on, they made things that they thought were fun, and they made the mechanics work as well as they could. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the joy of playing it, is you can tell it's a work of the heart. First Ed was a work of love. They designed the first. It's still fun. It's still unique. Yeah, it's kludgy. <laughs> but it's a kludgy kind of fun. It's Like I said, it's that nostalgic thing. I'm impressed that you're doing it because you're coming at it from not having played it all those years. And so you don't have that fond memory I do. So to me, just pulling the book out and looking at it makes me happy. Seeing the orange and brown on my shelf makes me happy. Right. I mean, I have a lot of stuff I've still not even used that I've bought used recently. Like I got Spelljammer finally. I have the Celljammer box sets. Maybe I'll run them at some point, but if nothing else, I really like reading them and flipping through them, and it gives me ideas for other games. So I think as you asked that question, nostalgia versus respect of the past are different. And you've kind of got to figure out, I think what you're doing now is you're, you're experiencing and respecting the past. Once you've done that for a while, you may decide, you know, I love this game enough that I want to respect it nostalgically, which mm-hmm. means you don't have to play it exactly as written. Right. Well, I think that's that's words well taken. We have one player in my current group, my first group, who did play it in the uh, yeah. 70s and 80s. And he, he, he was on the, the podcast a couple episodes back, and he uh, his mother bought him the, um, which one was it? It was the Greyhawk box set. When oh, she yes. went on a business trip and brought it home for him and it is in pristine condition we're using it for for our uh campaign in hamlet and uh he has already said this doesn't feel exactly like what i did (laughs) he's 
because uh, I warned him. I said, "You're probably going to die. Uh, bring bring a couple characters with you." And he said, "You know, well, it was my friend's dad that was DMing for us." Yep. And he said we leveled really fast at first, and the stuff wasn't really trying to kill us. And I said, "Yeah, I think that's a dad. That's a good dad." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's really AD and D like rules is written, but that's okay. But yep. that's okay. So he's enjoying kind of seeing this other side of AD and D as well. But I think you're right that as we go forward and kind of develop a, a, a rhythm, that there will be some changes. Already I'm considering some changes with the XP. Um, because we got to the end of our first session, it was four hours, and it was all role play. It was probably a blast. Uh, it was great. We had an awesome time. They were loving meeting the characters, many of which were from the module. You know, it's a very yep. rich, sandboxy module, the Village of Homelander. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to the end, and I said, I feel bad not giving you all... XP. So I just did something that felt like Gaga actually do. I took two D10s and I just threw them, and they got 73 XP. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you whatever gets the job done. So I'm I'm curious. We're talking about AD and D. We're talking about your past. What would you say is your favorite AD and D first edition adventure module, and why? Well, my favorite of all time that I've played, and it's interesting because you'll see it reflected here, is Ravenloft. Okay. I love the original Ravenloft. Um, I played it as a player. I didn't actually run that one. I actually got pulled back in and got to play that one. So many fond memories. So when Curse of Strahd was announced for 5th Ed, I talked to my current playing group, so not my family, but my gaming group, and said, guys, I really want to go down this path. So I asked, and they're younger than me. I have a group that's actually all about 10 years younger than me. Well, no, one of them is okay. my age. But then a couple other guys I, I met when I came back to the college tour. And then since then, they have stayed with me for a long time. <laughs> That's great. And I said, okay, guys, have you played this module? And they hadn't. None of them had played Ravenloft. And so it was wonderful. I'm like, okay, then I'm going to run the new version. So for me, it's neat. I've played the first edition one. I'm now going to run the fifth edition. But I have the first edition one. And I also have the Mask of the Red Death box set. So I'm actually going to be pulling stuff out of the old and pulling it back forward wow. for the new. That's awesome. Now... That said, like we talked about before, my other favorite is Restonforth, which okay. is, oh man, I don't remember the number. It's L1, so I think. Which one? L1, I think is what it's called, is where the town of Restonford is. And which one is L? Is that... That's why I'm looking here real quick, seeing if I have any notes on that. Secret of Bone Hill. Okay. Yeah, it's L1, the... the Secret of Bone Hill, and to me, it's the best of the sandboxes. Okay. Hamlet is nice. But it's very limited, and it's really attached to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah. Secret of Bone Hill, L1, has Restonford as a town in it, and it is completely a sandbox. I've run, I think, four different campaigns that started in that town. Wow. At different times, I would start there, and we'd go, and we'd keep using it as a town, and then I'd get a different group of gamers over the years, and I'd pull it out again. So I played that in high school, college, grad school, and as an adult. That's awesome. Man. So that's why I said so there are two different favorites. The nostalgic one for me to play was was Ravenloft. To run has been Reston Ford or Secret of Bone Hill. Very cool, man. Well, I've heard good stuff about Ravenloft. I'm not going to spoil my upcoming blog in a couple of weeks about Ravenloft, but um, and people might be surprised to hear that. I've been had so much of a focus on Gygax, but uh, yep. Ravenloft may be uh, making an appearance in in the process. 
Well, TR, thanks for your time tonight, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, and uh, for all of you who are listening out there, we really would appreciate uh, any kind of reviews on iTunes, even if it's a bad review, which I don't recommend. Well, let, let's, let, let's not put it that way. How about this? For the first five people that give us five-star reviews, that's a good way to put it, right? That's a good one. Uh, yeah, so the, the first people give us five-star reviews on iTunes, you're going to get in on an online AD&D campaign that I'm hoping to run uh, sometime this fall or winter. Uh, we'd really appreciate your uh, reviews and comments there. Um, and if you're looking to know more about AD&D First Edition, uh, if you'd like for some help kind of getting your campaign up and running, check out magcleric.com or you can tweet me at wood underscore Jason D. TR, how can they get a hold of you on Twitter? Uh, pretty simple. I'm at TR Knight. And they can also find my blog at FreelanceNight.com. Excellent. So what, what kind of stuff are they going to find on Freelance Night? Um, a lot of it's me talking about the freelance work I'm doing in both the board game and the role-playing industry. And I talk mm -hmm. about personal things and side projects. Um, talk about my family occasionally. So it's it's a musings blog. It mostly is about my freelancing. And But the big thing I've been doing recently, I've been doing a series on Mondays that's about game credits, who's who. I've been talking about people hmm. that are in the credits that you don't really think about, like miniature sculptors and painters and writers and editors, all the people that I have come to respect in the industry that make these games we love. Well, that's awesome, man. Everybody get on there and check out FreelanceNight.com. Uh, get some good information there. And uh, make sure to hit us up on Twitter and let us know you're, you're reading and watching along. But for all of you who are out there cracking open your Dungeon Master's Guide, keep on chasing that dragon. Thank you for joining us on Chasing the Dragon. If you like our theme song, check out the band Lame Drivers at lamedrivers.com.